The year 2020 will have an indelible mark on our collective consciousness. Decades from now, we'll recall just how difficult it was to navigate the coronavirus pandemic and all the resulting impacts on the way we live, work, and travel. Those of us who work in the travel industry will remember the volatility, early indicators of COVID-19's impact from China and other East Asian countries, travel purchases plummeting in the United States when the virus spread globally, a surge of refunds putting many travel businesses in jeopardy, and waves and waves of layoffs and furloughs that left many of our talented, highly skilled colleagues out of work. 2020 was a difficult, tumultuous, and uncertain time. But to help the travel industry navigate that volatility, ARC looked to its air travel data, the industry's most comprehensive and a key signal of consumer and business buying behavior. And that's where the data came in, quite frankly, because looking at the data, you can tell, okay, what exactly is going on? Let's collect that, find out what we can do, and kind of make some predictions from there. I'm your host, Peter Kane, and this is Arc Talk, a podcast that explores emerging technology, ingenuity, and creativity in air travel. Today, in the very first episode of Arc Talk, we'll be revisiting the year 2020 through the lens of ARC's air travel data. Things changed really quickly from week to week, and we'll walk through the biggest milestones, the biggest shifts in traveler behavior, and some of the surprises that the data showed us along the way. We'll even take a moment and look forward to see what green shoots may exist and what we might learn from what the data tells us now. The gentleman you just heard from a few moments ago is ARC's Managing Director of Data Science, Chuck Thaxton. Chuck is always at the forefront of ARC's travel data, but his expertise was critical for the travel industry when the COVID-19 pandemic hit. So Chuck, I want to just take our listeners back to when the pandemic really first started. Did you remember when you first heard of COVID-19? Because I think mine was early January, late December, and it was in a New York Times article. And then like a couple months later, there was a New York Times podcast that scared the living daylights out of me. Um, so at that point of this, like, when was that for you? And, you know, were you concerned? Yeah, Peter, it was it was in early 2020. I can't remember the exact date, but we were we were starting to hear rumors of, you know, there's a new virus that seemed to be coming out of China. And we've heard these rumors for, for years, to be honest with you. We had the, the SARS challenge a few years ago and things like that. So we, we sort of said, okay, we need to just kind of keep an eye on things, but everything's going to be fine. Because um, the world's seen a few of these over the years. But after a few months, it definitely started to get our attention. And we started to in, sort of feel the magnitude of what was coming. Once it started to spread beyond uh, the single province in China and China domestically, beyond the borders from there, it really started to, to have an impact on not only on travel, but the, the world in general. And that really, really started to take off in the, in the February and March timeframe. And we really, really began to get worried. And the worry was, quite frankly, not knowing. Um, if it's something that is tangible that we can get our hands around that we understand, worry is is less prevalent. But because we didn't know what was going to happen, how bad is this? How does it get transmitted? Things like that. It it was really a lot more worrisome. 
And that's where the data came in, quite frankly, because looking at the data, you can tell, okay, what exactly is going on? Let's collect that, find out what we can do, and kind of make some predictions from there. Hmm. So it was really like kind of in that, in that March timeframe when things started to really, I think, get serious here. Um, and that was really when we were able to start truly seeing the impact on, on travel based on, based on what you just kind of described to me. And I remember like, you know, March and April, I think the, I call it the average person in the U.S. is really starting to wake up to this. Tom Hanks has COVID. Um, they cancel the NBA. And I think the severity of the virus really started to weigh in on people. Um, and there's a lot of confusion in those following weeks. Um, you had people working from home. Um, folks were canceling flights. I had, a, I had originally had a trip to Japan scheduled. We changed it to Ireland. And uh, the day that I believe all of the travel restrictions went into place was the day that we were supposed to leave for Ireland. So that never happened. Um, and then looking at it from an ARC perspective, you know, that was when we started to see this negative net sales issue crop up where, you know, as a clearinghouse for travel agency air sales, we started to see more refunds from the airlines than we're getting purchased via travel agencies as new sales. And this was the first time in ARC's history that that ever happened. And I think it's at this point where ARC's data had become really important to start bringing clarity to the chaos like you're you're describing you can see it you can you can actually um action upon it um so give an audience a little bit of understanding where does arcs data come from and like what can it tell us yeah peter the the data that arc has is is somewhat unique in that we have a very global perspective on data we have data from the US, we have data collected on a daily basis from over 100 airlines around the world. So we have quite honestly, the largest single source of airline ticket data in the world. And, and that global scope gives us a really, really broad view of what's happening, not only regionally around the world, but we can also drill into that data and find out what's going on in a particular market or in a particular situation. You mentioned back in March, that was, that was when we first started to see a fairly significant impact in what was going on. And it was interesting because you mentioned your Ireland trip. The, the travelers seemed to bifurcate into two different camps. Travel sales didn't stop, but it was two groups of people that were really, really focused on traveling. One was trying to get home or trying mm -hmm. to get to family or trying to get to safety. And there was a huge spike in that really, really short-term travel. And then there was another group of travelers that said, look, this is only going to last a few months. Everything's going to be fine. There's some really, really good deals in travel, and I'm going to grab those and plan for travel in the summer and, and the fall, those kind of things. So there was still sales going on, but those sales were, in those two camps, not very, very high. Um, you mentioned ARC sales were were uh, kind of upside down during that period. And if you think about it from a, from a retail store, if you go into a store and you've got a line at the cashier, that's great. Can you imagine a line 10 times as long as the line at the cashier at the refund counter? <laughs> and that's kind of what we were experiencing with all the refunds that came through and we were actually flowing money away from the airlines and back to travelers and travel agents. And that was really a, the first time that's happened in ARC's history and very, very unique. 
Um, the, the other thing that, that really struck me during that, that period, Peter, honestly, was one of the things that makes this travel and hospitality industry so, so incredibly awesome. And that is with the remarkable things that were going on during this crisis, um, you may have heard it said that, you know, adversity does not build character, it reveals it. There were travel professionals in the U.S., at the airlines, and around the world that were going incredible lengths to try and get their travelers what they needed. They may have been stranded somewhere. How do we get them home? And there was that over and above really doesn't even give it credit to see what some of the travel industry professionals were doing that during, during that time. And those professionals, you know, tried to find solutions that were uh, quite frankly, to problems that were unprecedented, no one even anticipated what was going on at the time. So, you know, the, the industry and the people in the industry really, in my opinion, deserve a little bit of a big thank you for what they did during that period of time. Now, did we get everything perfect? No. Looking back, could we have done some things differently and better? Absolutely. Hindsight is much clearer than foresight. But there was a whole lot of work going on around the industry to try to weather the storm. And that's still going on today. A lot of things have been put in place, but we're still working through some, some recovery scenarios and those kind of things that we're going to have to work through going forward for at least another year. Yeah, I think that is a really good point on the way that the industry responded to this, to this very volatile, very ambiguous crisis. Um, and through that uncertainty, you know, everybody was actioning in the way that they best knew how, um, based on the information that they had at the time. And so you see, I think a lot of very, very good intent, a lot of very, very, uh, noble, um, actions that people were taking, but it also creates a layer of uncertainty for the traveler, right? So, you know, Lockdowns are going into place at different rates, um, at different levels in different places. Um, you know, there's still some uncertainty around spread, uh, how, it, how the, pen, the virus most easily spreads. Um, regulations are, tra are changing. Quarantines are going to affect here, not there. Here you get paid, there you don't, you have to pay. Um, and so we start heading, I think, into June at this point, right, where you know, we have some data, we're maybe starting to see some green shoots that are emerging, you know, some, some trends that we refer to as sort of those early indicators. Um, and we talked about this, you and I actually talked about this during the first ARC Travel Connect virtual series episode. So as we start heading into summer, we're getting a better understanding of what this uh, pandemic actually looks like. What are some of the trends that we're seeing um, starting to take shape? Yeah, the the travel that we saw in the in the kind of summertime period in, in 2020, Peter, um, after that initial sort of um, shock to the system in the April timeframe, we started to see people kind of looking around saying, well, is it going to last another two months? Is this going to last another three months? There were some predictions that it was going to last through the end of the year. And those are the kind of things that made travel purchasing highly volatile during that period of time. So there were some people that were picking up weekend trips. They had been quarantined and, and sequestered in their house for just too long. 
they had to get on some a plane and go somewhere. Um, and there were people that were still picking up deals. One of the things that the airlines did is they they implemented a lot of refund and cancel flexibility. And that flexibility is now almost universal. Mm. And it's not really expected to reverse anytime soon. So that flexibility gives travelers the opportunity to lock down a good fare right now. And then if things change at their destination or things change overall, then they can change that. And that flexibility by the airlines has really, I think, started to inch up demand a little bit more than it otherwise would have. Hmm. Um, that's, that's really interesting. And it's, it's an interesting way of looking at consumer behavior in general, where folks want to find ways to lock in the best deal that they can without a risk associated of losing that deal and finding the good, finding the good rate. Now, even if things change down the line, you still know that you'll be able to leverage that money again in the future. Should you have to reschedule? It's super interesting. Yeah. The, the other thing I'll, I'll add to that, Peter, to kind of close out that thought is average ticket prices are still lower than historical rates. Um, because people aren't traveling as much internationally and things like that, you would expect average ticket prices to be down. But even in the top 100 markets in the U.S. domestically, that average ticket price is down between 18 and 20 percent from historical norms. So there's a supply and demand issue at work here, but that is still stimulating demand, making travel a good deal and things like that. Yeah. The other thing that you brought up um, regarding sort of the late, you know, mid to late stages of 2020 was the volatility associated with, with travel. Have we seen that start to settle down here in the beginning of 2021 or do we still anticipate the, the massive swings like we are seeing, um, you know, in the, in the later stages of last year. We, we have started to see that volatility lighten up a little bit. Um, it has not returned specifically to all the normal behavior that we saw in 2019 and prior to that, but it is seeming to settle down a little bit. So we don't have these wild swings in ticket prices and wild swings in advanced purchase and things like that. So um, we are starting to see a little bit of normalization, but I would caution that to say we are going to still see some volatility. For example, we've recently over the last couple of weeks seen a little bit of an unexpected dip in international travel. Mm -hmm. So that international travel is affected probably because of some of the quarantine requirements that have gone in place and things like that. Not necessarily as draconian as our friends north of the border, but they're still in place. And that's going to impact that international travel and say, maybe I should travel closer to home or domestically. Interestingly, on the, just real quick on the international travel side, um, that close to home travel has really, really spiked as a percentage of our international travel. Travel to Mexico and the Caribbean is up a lot as a percentage of international travel. Now, total travel is down, but as a percentage of where people want to go, they're going to the Caribbean. They're going to Mexico when they travel internationally. Travel to Europe and Asia is off dramatically. People are just not wanting to travel to those regions at this point, 
possibly for quarantine and local restrictions, but also it's a long way from home. So if something does go sideways, they would have to get back home. And that's a lot more difficult from those regions that are farther away from the U.S. Yeah, and that's a behavior I think what I want to I want us to take a look at over time, obviously, is like, when do we start seeing that travel start to open up in those longer destinations, um, those more far away places? I think that's going to be a real interesting marker for us to keep an eye on going forward. We'll be right back. Stay in touch and follow ARC on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll keep you updated on when the next episode airs. We're now more than a month into 2021. Vaccines are in the early stages of distribution. There's some light at the end of the tunnel. You know, what are we seeing now as it relates to air travel purchasing behavior? And then what can we learn from that as we look forward? Yeah, Peter, as, as you can imagine, I, I really love you know, playing with the data and seeing what's going on and that sort of thing. And this is, this is a unique time to be able to do that sort of thing. So we are seeing some green shoots, as you mentioned, on things that are happening in 2021. Um, because one of the other things about ARC's data is we have forward-looking information. People have purchased tickets already for travel in 2021. Mm -hmm. So we can look at that data and kind of figure out what's going on with uh, travel in the spring, travel in the summer, that sort of thing. So um, the first quarter of 2021 is still going to be a very difficult time, primarily because leisure travel is leading the recovery clearly. Business travel has not yet started to recover at the rate that leisure travel is recovering for economic reasons, quite frankly. Even if the travelers have a need to travel, the funds are just not there in a lot of businesses. So leisure travel is leading the way. And in the first quarter, leisure travel is not typically a huge percentage of travelers. It's business travelers going to see their clients. Most of leisure travel occurred during the holiday periods and that sort of thing. So um, leisure travel is typically a little bit less this time of year, and we're seeing that during the first quarter. Now, what we are seeing toward the June-July timeframe is advanced purchase travel is starting to pick up a little bit. So we're seeing travel um, in the kind of down 50% from 2019 levels toward the end of the year based on advanced purchase. And by the fall, we're seeing that travel down only about 30% from levels that we saw in 2019 based on this advanced purchase information. Now, advanced purchase is a very, very interesting target, if you will. Um, historically, average advanced purchase has been about 40, 45 days. During the peak of the pandemic, it spiked to over 80 days. Hmm. And that was when people were trying to grab travel deals for later travel, things like that. We've started to see that normalized down to the low 40s at this point, which is a very good sign travel behaviors are starting to return to what we saw during quote normal times and some of that is leading us to believe that toward the end of the year that travel uh, travel is going to pick up not yet to 2019 levels 
but it is going to start recovering at a much more higher rate than we're seeing today. And again, that's based on the advanced purchase information that we've got. So on business travel specifically, is business travel going to return to the same levels that we saw in 2019? The answer is, my opinion, probably so, but it'll take a couple of years to get there. And that travel probably is gonna look a little different. For example, flying for two days for a one hour meeting in Europe is probably not gonna happen as often as it used to. Now, flying to Europe's a lot of fun, and that's, that's one of those things that people like to do, but just for an hour meeting or a two hour catch up with a customer, it's just not going to come back to that sort of thing in the very short term, I don't think. We have the technology now to do those things a little bit more efficiently with virtual meetings. However, things like networking with your clients, brainstorming with your partners, innovation within a company, those things can't be scripted on a video call. Those are those chats you have in the hallway. Let's get together and do a whiteboard session. I've got an idea. Those are the kind of meetings that are going to continue to happen. And that's going to become a significant part of the recovery, as well as events and meeting travel and that sort of thing. Um, it's probably going to be into 2022 before we see that fully back. But I do believe it's going to come back faster than, than some former Microsoft executives think it will. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that I heard a travel buyer say the other day that I thought was a really good way of putting that is if I have the opportunity to break bread with you, then that trip is still a trip I'm going to take. And it's all those things that you just described, right? There's a lunch involved or there's a dinner involved. There's a meal involved. And long story short, that's a way of determining how that travel will likely come back. Right. The, the other thing that I'm really intrigued on, and I think this is something that maybe, um, you know, this is where data can get really interesting, is I think the nature of work is ultimately going to start shifting as well. We're going to see more remote teams, and as such, travel might ne not necessarily be one person traveling to multiple places, but rather a group of people traveling together to one place. So much more like that events and meetings uh, type of travel, and we'll be hopefully able to see that in the coming years um, through, through the data set. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right, Peter. And some of that travel profile for business meetings and that sort of thing is going to evolve a little bit over time. Um, recently, on a on a webcast with a consulting firm, and they said smaller meetings are really going to get a bump over the next several years. And that's that's different than getting together at a convention with a hundred thousand of your closest friends. This is a really targeted meeting. Let's get together with a smaller group. And those small meeting and incentive travel events are going to really, really get a, get a bump during the recovery, I think. Now, the, the air travel in general is going to come back. And the safety protocols that airlines have put in place with you know, mandatory masks and the filters the cleaning protocols, touchless check-in, the, the, the things that the airlines have done to make air travel safe are really way over the top. In fact, um, you're going to get on an airplane and it will be the cleanest airplane you have seen in decades. I guarantee it. And that's not going to change for, for a very, very long period of time. So air travel itself is safe today and will continue to be that going forward. 
I think the biggest factor is going to be the, the destination restrictions, and that's going to continue to be a bit of a drag on air travel recovery. Um, as those things start to happen, you're going to see air travel recover. Um, again, led by the leisure demand, but then uh, business travel kicking in after that to, to kind of catch up a little bit, I think. The other thing I'm really interested in is to understand, and you've touched on this a little, where things won't change for a very long time. I think there's going to be shifts that happen in the market and in consumer behavior that just linger around. And I was wondering if you had any ideas about what those might be, whether it's seasonality changes, whether it's advanced purchase behavior. You know, what would you, what are you keeping an eye out for? Yeah, I think. I think one of the things we mentioned earlier about airlines being more flexible with their refund and cancellation policy will allow people to be a little bit more flexible in their travel. So historically, we've seen a lot of people on holiday trips really book way far in advance in order to get the best deals, that sort of thing. I think we're going to see some more flexibility in that. I also believe the travel closer to home and those are the, the indications we're seeing in the data right now, fourth quarter as well as first quarter. And we have not seen any major change in second quarter so far of travel closer to home. So it will be a quite a while before that longer term travel uh, really kicks in. The other interesting thing I've seen in, in some of the webcasts that we've been on and some of the other um, data that we've seen coming through for traveler preferences is those long trips. I want to take a safari. Mm -hmm. I want to take a four-day cruise in the Southern Pacific. I want to tour Southeast Asia. Those bucket list trips are going to increase in priority mm. amongst consumers. And here's why. Consumer preferences have historically been, yeah, I'd like to do that someday, but really not a good time. I'll do it next year. The pandemic has sort of triggered a way of thinking that says, you know, I may not be able to do it next year. So if there's an opportunity to do it this year, those consumer preferences with, I want to do that one trip, are really, really going to get uh, a little bit more top of the list than they have been in years past. And that's a really interesting opportunity for our travel agencies, our, you know, tour operators. Um, agencies that work with really complex itineraries that I think is going to be uh, fascinating to watch over the coming months and years. Yeah, absolutely, Peter. And, and you mentioned travel agencies. Um, there's been um, chatter over the last several decades of travel agencies going away. We don't need this, that sort of thing. Um, the pandemic has actually uh, revealed that these travel agencies in a large extent provide services beyond just issuing a ticket. You know, what is needed from a visa requirements? What are needed from health requirements? How can we get those complex itineraries, including very novel ground transportation and lodging? Those kinds of things travel agencies really, really can uh, benefit a traveler. And uh, I think the, the value of those travel agencies really has revealed itself over the last several months. Well, Chuck, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. This was very, very interesting. Um, give you the last, last chance to add anything that we didn't touch on because we, we definitely covered a lot. 
Now, I, I think we've talked about a lot of things and the recovery is going to continue to um, grow. We do believe in first quarter that recovery is going to be continued to be slower than we would hope. Uh, but the data right now is showing that toward the middle part of the year and into the fall, that recovery should accelerate. And I think availability and the widespread availability, at least, of vaccines um, is going to help that as well. Yeah, there's clearly a, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Let's just get to there as fast as we possibly can and as safely as we possibly can. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Peter. We'll be right back. Want to gain more insights on what ARC is up to in the world of air travel data and retailing? Visit arccorp.com. That's A-R-C-C-O-R-P.com. And get the inside scoop on the future of omnichannel retailing and travel technology. At ARC, we believe data is the best way to plan for the future. To see ARC's latest airline sales data, updated weekly, visit arccorp.com. That's A-R-C-C-O-R-P.com. If you're in a position where comprehensive insights could help your business, check out ARC Travel Demand, ARC's data product designed to help companies measure consumer air travel purchasing behavior and anticipate future demand. Thanks so much for listening. You can subscribe to ARC Talk on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more updates, follow us on Twitter using the handle ARCTalk and follow the Airlines Reporting Corporation on LinkedIn. Until next time, I'm Peter Kane. And remember, as J.R.R. Tolkien once wrote, not all those who wander are lost.